Okay, thank you. Um, I'm going to go quickly from uh, where we where we were off to uh, to take you to sorry, sorry. Um, to Su the Sudans and then Somalia. Um, it's a big change of location from Sri Lanka and the Caucasus, and I'm going to uh, bring in some examples of the difficulties and complexities of peacemaking, peacemaking and peace building in, in those two uh, uh, countries, or now three countries. Um, and I'll be drawing in what I say on my academic research in the past, which concentrated on the Sudans, and then also uh, my practical work um, in both countries and uh, most recently in, in Somalia. Um, I, I won't apologize for trying to squeeze in two countries and uh, uh, why these two countries. I have had a long interest for 15 years or so in um, countries that go through protracted civil wars and have large humanitarian crises rolled in. Um, Sudan gripped me uh, 17 years ago and, and hasn't really let me go and Somalia became a, a sideline. You'll find a lot of people who work for the UN and international organizations, often they, they work in a similar set of countries and move within them. Let's go to the Sudans um, and the story of peacemaking there, which is appropriate today to think about because the Sudans have been in the news during the past uh, couple of months, um, and it was following the fact that uh, last year southern Sudan seceded. I want to talk about two internationally mediated peace processes that happened in the one Sudan that has now become two. Um, two, peace process, two peace processes that responded to the two-decade or longer uh, or older civil war and the Darfur conflict. The first peace process, which led to the 2005 Comprehensive Peace Agreement for, for Sudan, was a paradoxical success. The second peace process for Darfur, which led to a peace agreement in Darfur, was a, a demonstrated failure. Both stories of peacemaking are interesting for the subject, which is, over, or is part of what overarches today's conference, the subject of why peace studies, what is the merit of it. In the case of the the, the first peace process in Sudan, which led to the, the 2005 peace agreement, the Comprehensive Peace Agreement, the paradox of its success was essentially that that peace agreement was signed in January 2005, almost two years after the conflict in Darfur had escalated and was ongoing through 2005 and had become um, the subject of many contested international labels, such as the world's worst humanitarian crisis, genocide. What, leave aside those contestations, what was not doubted was that nearly two million people had been displaced from their homes and it was a, uh, it was a major conflict. Um, so hence my label for that grand peace agreement for Sudan, that it was a paradoxical success. Um, 
Where did, how did that come about? There were many factors. One factor that I'm going to, uh, one story I'll open up to you here um, was the story of, the, to give you an insight into the peace talks um, that produced that 2005 peace agreement. In 2004, I did some research as an, as an observer who slipped in at the comfortable hotel in Kenya, Lakeside Hotel, where the delegations from uh, the Sudanese government and the, uh, the main rebel movement were, uh, were holding their talks that had been going on for two years already by that time and had been testing the patience of, uh, of the international mediation, which, which was an international mediation comprising uh, a troika, as it was called, of representatives from the US, UK and Norway, and then a wider um, uh, group of uh, called an East African body called IGAD, which was hosting and convening the talks, and then a wider group of friends of the peace talks, uh, which included the UN and the African Union and, and uh, other countries in the region. Intriguingly, at the peace talks, um, one of the questions, uh, one of the questions that I asked uh, representatives or negotiators from, from each delegation. One question I asked them was, what did they think was the greatest mistake being made by the international mediators? And I framed that question at the time in, in a context of, in a positive context, because the peace process was making progress. It was a peace process that was, uh, had, had led to a number of bits of paper being signed a number of protocols and more protocols were on the way and those protocols the vision was that they would be rolled up into an eventual agreement so among the set of open-ended questions that I asked uh, that I posed to uh, the negotiators and others was uh, what did they think about the mediation what was the greatest mistake being made by the mediation for example and what good things were they doing but anyway regarding the greatest mistake um, interestingly uh, negotiators from both delegations, the government and the rebel movement, said the greatest mistake being made by the mediators is that they've misframed the conflict. They've represented it as a north-south conflict, but it's not. Curiously, of course, actually a fair number of the mediators knew that, but the, the enormous peace process was rolling on and the modalities of the negotiations and the uh, committees and subcommittees that have been set up, and then also the influence of misunderstandings of the conflict that were held by outsiders further removed from the peace talks, outsiders who, who weren't immersed in the country. The cumulative effect of all of that was steering the peace process towards a... Um, a bilateral or two-party agreement framed around a, 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 a misperception of the conflict as a north-south conflict, when it was, in the words of the negotiators themselves, it was more complicated than that in a, in a much more basic way. Um, among the Sudanese outside the talks, um, 
those who are optimistic about their rulers believed that the eventual peace agreement would bring peace. Those who weren't rosy-eyed called it a, a safka, a deal, uh, quite dismissively in, in, in Arabic, um, in, spoken in north and south of, the, of Sudan. They called it a deal because, as opposition parties said, they were excluded from it. As civil society said, they were excluded or they weren't adequately included. Um, the short of that story, sort of to sum it up, um, is that the mediation was flawed. The negotiators were also flawed. Um, uh, what they, their conduct in the negotiations, their acceptance of the, the, pro the type of process, and the resulting peace agreement that was signed in January 2005 fatally underestimated the costs of exclusion. Um, and the, the cost of exclusion had already been demonstrated in the, the by then two-year-old or one-and-a-half-year-old Darfur conflict. And the cost of exclusion has been demonstrated in the longer story over the past, so in the subsequent years through to, through to the present and the, the perilous... Uh, the perilous state of relations between the, uh, the two countries. So that's one story of um, peacemaking. Peace Another story of peacemaking from the Sudans was, was peacemaking for Darfur in 2006, uh, where there was again a, a large internationally mediated mediation, or inter internationally mediated set of peace talks held this time not in a nice hotel in Kenya but in a less comfortable hotel in Abuja in, mostly in, in Nigeria and sporadically talks elsewhere. That culminated after a sort of compressed peace process culminated in a peace agreement signed in, in, uh, in spring 2006 called the Darfur Peace Agreement um, which Unlike the Comprehensive Peace Agreement, where the, the, the shortcomings of that took many more years to be recognized, the, the shortcomings of the, the Darfur Peace Agreement in 2006 were, were, uh, were called out, were, were, were voiced by many people right at the time, including by rebel groups that refused to sign the agreement, and, and were then evident in fighting that escalated in the months after that uh, peace agreement was signed. Their sort of technical analysis it would be that the peacemaking failed because of poor process. Um, an interesting thing that happened, however, was that the failure of the peace agreement itself um, was unwittingly masked in the, uh, in the coming uh, in the coming uh, sort of one year, two year, three years, it was masked by a, a sort of confluence of shared interests and wishful thinking among donor capitals, peacekeeping missions, um, and even foreign contractors or NGOs contracted to do public relations work for that peace agreement to try and to sell an agreement which, in a, which actually was already dead. Um, and it produced a situation where there were well-intentioned Sudanese on the ground who were working for local uh, peace-related uh, civil society groups or NGOs, um, who those Sudanese 
found it difficult to say no to the activities that were being sponsored by this enormous pipeline of money backing this dead peace agreement. And so there were well-intentioned Sudanese who found it difficult to say no to proposed activities connected to this failed peace agreement because if they said no, they would have been depriving themselves of benefits, depriving themselves of, of a salary in the next month, of, a, of, of particular job opportunities. So the implications of those two stories of peacemaking, um, why I wanted to talk about them, that they have implications for the practice and the study of peace. Um, firstly, the, the peacemaking in the Sudan shows the, the benefits of and the need for perseverance in supporting peacemaking. Perseverance, not just at the, uh, the track one elite level of peacemaking, but at the, uh, simultaneously at the level of mass social peacebuilding activities. Um, those examples of peacemaking show the, illustrate the need to look critically at what's happening um, when a peace agreement is being implemented and what changes could help. And those two cases of peacemaking also um, illustrate, I would say, the benefit, sort of show some of the benefits of the study and research, the benefits of study and research that look at peace in a more comprehensive sense. Um, the questions behind those failed peace. Uh, agreement, peacemaking, although those problematic peacemaking stories haven't been adequately explored in research yet. Um, and hopefully they will be in the coming years. Um, if there's a sort of a grand lesson for peacekeeping, which we haven't otherwise talked about in our panel, it would be a lesson that some people in the UN Department of Peacekeeping Operations would be, uh, sort of w would make themselves or would voice themselves, which is, golly, look, over seven years of, of, uh, of peace agreement implementation in Sudan and during the deployment of more peacekeepers in any one country than, anywhere, than in any other country in the world, any other single country, um, all of that did not build a, a stable, more comprehensive peace. Um, I don't know if I've got two minutes to say anything about Somalia. Um, so switching completely, but um, you're, what I was going to talk about Somalia was the drawing on some experience during the past four months where, when I was working as a peacebuilding advisor uh, in Puntland, Somalia, and Se uh, Somaliland um, on a project where my assignment was to, uh, to help nascent sort of or nascent units in the governments in those two territories uh, develop uh, their understanding about peace, build, peace building and to uh, move towards developing a peace building policy that, that would be useful for the future um, uh, in Puntland and Somaliland. Um, the, the, what, what that uh, piece of work uh, one interesting thing from that piece of work that I that was was that I, I found a situation where the international organisation that brought me in, the United Nations Development Programme, um, staff within it who were sort of behind a, or sort of pushing a, a number of projects and uh, including the work that I did, um, uh, they suffered from. Um, some confusion uh, in their perceptions and understanding about what, 
was actually happening in the country. And they were also, in some cases, confused about what actually is peace building. Uh, where does it fit in relative to um, conflict prevention, violence reduction? Um, and, and I also saw that there was a situation where a, a project had been going on for two years called the Armed Violence Reduction Project. And it was a successor to a previous cycle of community security and arms control projects, which was a successor to a disarmament, demobilization, and reintegration project. And for the Somalis, who were sort of the object or partner of these projects, some of it was just quite baffling. And each time the project changed, all they could do to keep up with it was to change the label on the door of the office, which the UN staff and the consultants such as myself would be coming to, to change the label, to put on the label that had the buzzwords of the, the latest project. And, and when those projects were importing ideas and trying to sometimes import structures uh, such as with, with, with seductive names like district safety committees or district peace committees, even when the Somali counterparts sometimes knew and were saying privately among themselves, saying, look, these committees, we don't need them, thanks, and, or it just doesn't work, or you don't understand about how our existing structures here work. Um, they just couldn't get that message across enough to their UN and NGO, international NGO counterparts, and there were a number of international NGOs involved. They couldn't get that message across, and they, in effect, they gave up because they knew that if they insisted too much, then the project would be cut off and the benefits that they were getting would also be cut off. It was a situation where they, to some extent, were farming the benefits of, of aid projects. Um, some of the Somalis were, were positively learning, others weren't. So, so that's an example of some of the, the complexity, uh, the practical complexities of, of implementing a, a peace-building project in Somali Lenaputland. And in conclusion, what I'd just say is I, I therefore believe strongly that, um, yeah, I believe strongly in the value of interdisciplinary peace studies and research and, and in the value of research and practice interacting uh, and learning from each other. So, thank you. Thank you.